From the corner of Munson and Civic Center Boulevard, you are listening to a brand new bi-weekly podcast called Into the Depths with the Men are Icebreakers, where we will take an in-depth look at your Men are Icebreakers and the FPHL as a whole. We will catch up with Coach Ragnall, the front office, and even players on the roster, all while keeping you informed on everything Icebreakers. I'm Angelo Vallada, and I'm joined alongside by Jared Tennant. So like Angelo said, the basic idea behind this podcast is just to be a source of analysis for all the latest icebreakers and FPHL news. Uh, we kind of want to give you an inside look at the organization and everything that goes on that fans don't get to see on a daily basis. And I think this is one of those ideas we've had for a while. It's just we haven't really had time to put it together until, of course, the whole COVID-19 pandemic gave us a little bit of an extended off season. So let's take a look and let's dive in. All right, Jared, what I'd like to do now for all of our fanatics out there is uh, both of us kind of take a look at this off-season recap. It's been a off-season like no other for anyone involved in athletics, whether at the junior high, high school, minor league, professional level, um, icebreakers included. But before we get a look at the exact off-season, if you take a look back at the second season for the icebreakers um, here at Men Ice Arena, they started the season out really well going 7-2 and two in their first nine games. But then it was a slew of call-ups and trades that really shook up the offensive production as well as our ace in goaltending. And Menor then would fall later in the season on a 16-game losing streak. Um, but the Icebreakers would start to show some patches of much-improved play down the stretch. If you look back to the end of February, a part of that losing streak, but things kind of started turning the corner. On February 28th, they're down 7-2 right here as we look out over the ice at uh, Menor Ice Arena versus the Prowlers, and they scored the last two goals in the game to make it 7-4. That next day, tied with the Prowlers, 3-3 after two periods before falling 7-3. But what we saw was those patches of good play. And then it was, who knew it was going to be the last game? But finally, on Sunday, March 8th, and it took two rinks to do it, but we beat the... Delaware Thunder 6-5 to in what ended up being the last game of the year. The Icebreakers would finish with a 15-30, 0-3 record and 48 points ahead of the said Thunder, who were 12-31, 1-1, and 39 points. The really interesting thing is, though, there was an upcoming weekend three-game series in Delaware, which we never got to see happen, as the last game of the whole season was on Thursday, March 12th. Elmira won 4-3 to over Watertown with no fans, so it looked like maybe the league was going to continue uh, just with no fans in capacity. However, the NBA shutting down on the 11th the previous day started the uh, kind of the train rolling of the shutdowns, and that station rolled through the FPHL and every other league at that time. And so, therefore, that three-game series was left up in the balance. Um, nobody winning the Commissioner's Cup this year, but a nod, I guess, to Carolina, who finished with 106 points atop the league. So an interesting season all around. And if the season was interesting, the offseason was maybe doubly interesting um, right after that took place. Yeah, I think when you look at the Icebreakers last season, the thing that stands out to me is they weren't really built for long-term success. Obviously, those top guys, what was it, John Butita, Parker Moskill, Declan Conway, they're about as good as you could find in the FPHL. I think the, that trio actually led the league in scoring at one point. But, you know, once those guys ended up, I think Vitita was called up, Parker Moskal was traded, and then all of a sudden the depth was tested and the depth just wasn't there. And that's kind of what led to the turmoil and the, I think it was a 16-game losing streak that followed. And 
I think Nick Russo and Sebastian Ragno essentially had to build a team from scratch in the middle of the season, which is just not an easy task at all. But I think uh, they started to turn things around there at the end, like you mentioned. And what was really tough is what should have been kind of the middle of the season, but actually ended up being the last 10% of the season as those transitions started taking place at the end of February. Nobody knew that March 8th would end up being the last game here and of the whole season uh, for the icebreakers. And then, like we said, March 12th, the final FPHL game in the 2019-2020 season. So the icebreakers brought in a lot of new faces over those uh, couple of weeks and started turning things together. But as we talked about, there's been quite a bit of signings and transactions post that. Even with all the craziness and the unsurety, the icebreakers' uh, management has been busy in bringing in a lot of new faces for that upcoming camp or some people signed uh, to direct contracts. I think it's very important to note before we get into all the new signings is that a lot of these guys, we're not sure they'll be able to play here in Menor this season just because of COVID-19, all the immigration issues that it presents might be pretty difficult for some of these guys to actually be able to make it here and legally work uh, for the Menor Icebreakers. So uh, with that being said, there's still a, quite a few really good American players that uh, Icebreakers picked up this offseason. So taking a look at the forwards, first of all, the big signing that stands out is Jamal Ikit, uh, the all-time leading goal scorer in the WSHL, and he's really a scorer like the icebreaker, icebreakers have not had here in Menor. And taking a look at a couple of the foreign players, Roman Kulikov and Termalin Skinderov, two guys that played in the GMHL last year. Kulikov had 160 points in 121 career games in the GMHL. Skinderov had 81 points in only 33 games with the Tottenham Steam and Northumberland Stars. And you look at Skinderov, he also played in the WSHL, I believe he played against uh, Jamal Ikit when Ikit was with the Bellingham Blaze and Skinderov was with the Seattle Totems. He was a former 50-point scorer with those Seattle Totems. Uh, another big forward addition this year is Marco Luciani. He was picked up with the second overall pick in the expansion draft, and he stood out on a Battle Creek team that was historically bad last season. He's got experience playing multiple professional leagues, and he could be one of those guys that brings you a boost to this Icebreakers offense. It was one of the worst in the league last year. Yeah, that Battle Creek Rumblebees dispersal draft took place near the end of June, and each team at the time, not counting the Motor City Rockers, which we'll talk about momentarily, uh, got a pick from that. Delaware took Nathan Peligra to start things off, and it was Menor taking Marco Luciani second, getting a 7-11-18 line last year with the Battle Creek Rumblebees um, and also scored a couple of goals with the Danville Dashers, having played in Italy and Sweden. And uh interview you had talked about with Coach Ragno, it was his number one target in the uh, Rumblebees dispersal draft. Columbus followed up with a former icebreaker, although he has uh, gone to a different team since then in Ryan Elvis. Watertown with Alexander Gregorich. Danville, another former icebreaker, Joseph Keenan. Port Huron got Sage, Citrone, Elmira, Trevor Babin, Danbury, Vincent Susi, and Carolina wrapped up the Rumblebees dispersal draft by picking Jason Stone. Yeah, so moving on with the Icebreakers, a uh, group of forwards that they've, they're bringing back or have signed this year. Next up is Josh Newberg, a guy who's actually in town this week for the Junior Icebreakers camp. He's, he's one of the player instructors helping out with uh, Sebastian Ragno and the group of kids that we have here up at Menor Ice Arena. But he's an older veteran who could definitely play a key role in what's probably going to be a very young roster. I don't know about you, but I was pretty impressed with him last year when he stepped into a team that was just in turmoil and played really well before he got hurt. And, eventually had a season-ending injury. That 7-2 game against Port Huron we talked about was uh, 
7-4, and that was because Newberg added two third-period goals. As a veteran, he scored a 17-28-45 line over 104 FPHL games, and I, I did think he added a, a good boost and a little bit of a, of a steady hand with his veteran experience. So be good to see him back in the fold for the guys in double blue. Yeah, when we actually picked up Newberg for the first time, all that I could remember him from was those Watertown Wolves teams that used to beat up on the icebreakers in our inaugural season, just seeing him. We played Watertown year one. Uh, we didn't see it. <laughs> we saw Watertown, it seemed like, every other day for a while. It was something like six of our first seven games, and Newberg was a part of those teams that were just tormenting the icebreakers. I think they, Menor eventually broke through for that 7-0 win, if you look back. Uh, at the end of November, and that was kind of the first step towards actually fielding a, a competitive team in the FPHL. Yeah, we were battle-tested by the Wolves, and Newberg was one of a handful of signings on June 22nd, that was, along with Henry Berger, who signed to a standard contract. And for our fanatics out there, he led in games played last year with uh, 47 for Menor with all the transitions, with a 5-8-13 line uh, scoring for the Iceberger. So good to see Berger coming back. And continue on with some of the forwards that we signed. Of course, we have the great Kodiak White Duck. Uh, one came in Menor last year, but it was a big one. That 6-5 win over Delaware, he scored a key third-period goal to put the Icebreakers up 5-4 to four in a game they'd eventually win 6-5. to five. And the journey he had to get to this game was, was definitely uh, a legendary tale. I mean, coming straight over uh, from up north and coming down straight to Menor to get in and then scoring right off, getting off the uh, transportation. So Kodiak White Duck, White Duck coming back. Um, also on the uh, 22nd, signing defenseman Dylan Farrell-Rini to a PTO contract, having played some at Central Maine Community College and in the FPHL, former team, the North Shore Knights, uh, was another signing. Taylor Powell uh, played 96 games as a member of Towson University, and Dylan Cook 20-year-old was a captain of the Oklahoma City Junior Blazers and played for the San Diego Sabres, had 24 points in 44 games. All three of those guys signed to PTO contracts. And looking to some more of the returners that we have here in Menor, Brendan McKenzie could end up being a big one. Another one of those guys that came into a team in a very bad situation last year, put up seven points in six games with the Icebreakers. And also we have Tyler Homard, Cody Oaks, and Austin Weber. Of course, Oaks and Weber were acquired in the Stephen Fowler trade at Port Huron last year. And Cody Oaks did not, did not actually play for the Icebreakers last year. Could be an under-the-radar pick to make the roster. He had 92 points over 96 career WSHL games. And then haven't even mentioned some other guys like Taylor Tranko, Robert Mac McNamara, Christopher Bormanis. And this overall could be one of the better offenses in the FBHL this year. Yeah, and uh, July 8th they signed McNamara and Austin Kaza, two forwards, and uh, McNamara playing at Niagara University and the Whalers scoring quite a bit of points over five years, 66-62-128, a PTO contract for him. And Kaza, 6-3, a little bit of height added to that front line of the Icebreakers having played for the Bradford Rattlers, 1-8-9 in just five games in the GMHL. Trenkel led off the signings on July 18th, the forward 23, five seasons at the State University of New York, Cortland College, amassing 79 points and was the Red Dragons' leading scorer in 18-19. And some veteran experience added with Christers Bormanis, having played in Latvia, Iceland, Ukraine, and England. Uh, four different clubs in the FPHL a year ago and a 6-23-29 scoring line in 39 games played. So taking a look at some of the defensemen that 
that have been brought into Mentor this offseason. Uh, the big one is William Sandstrom. He was signed as one of the first signings, actually received a standard player contract rather than a PTO, so he's pretty much guaranteed to make the team whenever he is able to come to Mentor. 19-year-old um, from Sweden, played professionally in Sweden's Division One this past season. Head coach Sebastian Ragno was kind of singing his praises uh, at the time of the signing. He said he's a big, skilled defenseman who's going to make an immediate impact, and he's going to bolster the re returning defensive core. Uh, some more returners on that end. Mark Steele, of course, player of the Icebreakers, coveted for most of the last season when they were in need of a big defenseman. He played well down the stretch for Menor. Henry Berger, one of the biggest offensive threats on the blue line for the Icebreakers, and Alfonso Diaz. Uh, none of those guys are obviously guaranteed to make the roster, but you think that they would have a leg up having been here in Menor and been through everything with the Icebreakers. Uh, some other signees, Thomas Bell, Ned Simpson, Jacob Oliveri, all added on PTOs. Brett Mackle, a player who actually was signed last season, never got to play in a game because the season was canceled. Uh, he has a connection to Nick Russo, the GM of the Icebreakers, who was the former head coach of Villanova, where Brett Mackle played uh, collegiately. So Brett Mackle's already 26 years old, could be a veteran leader. He's one of the older players, despite being considered a rookie, and he had 100, 100 points in his collegiate career, so definitely an older leader in that locker room for the Icebreakers. So moving on to the Netminders, it's really an interesting group here because we have Jake Mullen, who's probably expected to be the number one goaltender this year, but then after that, it's a whole slew of goalies, and it's going to be a pretty fun battle to watch for that backup goaltender spot. And you can never have enough goalies. It's like pitchers in baseball, and uh, you know, having added a couple of guys with some nice stats to go along with, Lane Timmons, 6'6", 273 pounds from Illinois. He played with the Whalers of the GMHL at 248 goals allowed and a 932 save percentage. Got a PTO contract on July 18th, as did goalie Will McEwen, who played at Northland College and the Colorado Eagles of the WSHL with a 239 goals allowed and a 922 save percentage. And you mentioned Nussbaum got tested down the stretch there, too, when we took that road trip, especially to Danville, and he faced 60-plus shots and hung in there and he also stands in at the six foot six so all three of those guys and Mullen you know is a nice roundup there of guys back in the net it's important to note that I think Kent Nussbaum is one of those guys who has a really good relationship with coach Ragno so uh, you know earlier this offseason I should say uh, Sebastian Ragno said right now Jake Mullen is our guy unfortunately he can't play every game we're going to have an interesting battle to see who his partner will be We'll have goalies from multiple backgrounds with good resumes coming to Mentor. As a former goaltender, I'm excited. So I'm sure that he uh, look, definitely looking forward to this goaltender battle as well. And I think, you know, to bring back the uh, a pitching analogy, you think you have enough pitching or you think you have enough goalies until you don't. So we saw with Austin Rodebush getting called up last year, and then all of a sudden it was a scramble to figure out who was going to be in the net. And an injury or anything else untimely or a trade or some sort of other transaction call up like we talked about. So having a uh, nice core of goalies and someone you can count on besides Jake Mullen is definitely going to be a much needed thing for Coach Ragno's team come the 2020-2021 season. One guy I'm excited to watch in training camp is Lane Timmons, who's just huge at 6'6", 273 pounds. And if you look at pictures of him in between the pipes, he looks every bit of that 6'6", 273 pounds. Yeah, he fills out the net. I mean, that's <laughs> that's like a, a nice linebacker coming at you except blocking your net. And what more could you ask for for a team is having that size advantage. Obviously, the skill set has to come with it. But right from the uh, description of that guy, it would be definitely very interesting to see how he will perform in the upcoming training camp uh, scheduled here for early to mid-October. 
I don't know if you remember those old McDonald's commercials where it was like the giant goalie and that. I think it might have been for the Olympics. And he, he would just stand there. All the players would try to score on him, but he'd cover the entire net with his body. And that's that's what Lane Timmons reminds me of. He had pr really good numbers last year uh, with the Niagara Whalers. 932 save percentage, 2.48 goals against. Yeah. Uh, with both of those led the league, and he was an all-star. And I believe it was the GMHL last year. So definitely a big, uh, exciting goaltender coming to Menor with a chance to make the team. Go to www.menoricebreakers.com and click the new team store tab at the top. You will be directed to the page with all of the official great Menor Icebreakers merchandise for sale directly, including our new summer line of three t-shirt designs and even Icebreakers cornhole boards and bags. For any questions, including about jersey customization, send an email to teamshop at menoricebreakers.com. Around the FPHL, where it stops, nobody knows. How about Fraser, Michigan? And Motor City, Jared. Motor City Rockers. That's who's coming. There was a press conference back on August 11th at uh, Huber Brees Music in Fraser, Michigan. What did you think of the announcement of that 10th team? Definitely not what I expected with the Motor City, but I definitely like it. Uh, it kind of reminds me of how uh, it's the Cleveland Monsters now, but the Lake Erie Monsters tried to reach out to kind of the whole Northeast Ohio area rather than just Cleveland. You know, with the Motor City Rockers, you kind of appeal to the Greater Detroit area as Frazier. I believe it's an hour north of Detroit. And taking a look and be interesting to see what our fanatics think of uh, the New Jersey. Yeah, you know, of course, we love the guys in double blue and the white, uh, but purple and white main jerseys. They have an alternate black, which I thought was pretty cool with the purple and white, designed by Mike Jans of Vortec Design. And w there's a couple of really cool things about this uniform, though. Instead of a traditional stripe at the bottom, there is a scale with music notes from the theme charge and there's guitars on both shoulders so a nice homage and nod there to the uh the rocker's name yeah, definitely unique and i like that logo it's it's a pretty clean looking logo a lot of people had mixed opinions on it but i think that combined with the really unique jerseys they've got a pretty good setup for their first season now uh you know who knows how that will translate to on ice but um i i, I like it it's a different color scheme than you see within the league there's definitely no uh uh, purple-based teams other than when Watertown would wear a special jersey. So uh, switching it up a little bit, <laughs> the Motor City Rockers, yeah. And uh, I guess there's a band name that we find out. But they also are going to be keeping the divisions the same aligned now by uh, being in Michigan still. They'll just take the place of the Battle Creek Rumblebees and make that the five-team West. The East will stay the same. And uh, they got a handful of... A former Menor Icebreaker players, though, um, and a couple, I think, of note especially. Ryan Elvis kind of had a little bit of a resurgence last year, 12-18-30 with the Honeycomb Attack, and he had previously played in Menor, getting 12 points and 9 with Danville, but Alves uh, adds a little bit of uh, proficiency on the ice. And if you want to talk about a man who faced – Everything coming at him, literally, it was Joel Eisenhower. And he picked up his first FPHL victory last year. He had 1,087 saves. 90 saves. 90. No, that wasn't a typo. That wasn't a misspeak. 90 saves for support here on Prowlers on that same March 8th, the last game of the season. And had 50-plus saves in eight different games. I mean, statistically, when he was in minor, he didn't have too much success, but he really got an opportunity 
to have a featured role in that Battle Creek team, and he uh, he definitely delivered. I don't think he was the reason. Nobody was blaming Joel Eisenhower for the Bees only went in one game last year. I mean, 90 saves has to be, if not the record, in the top five save performances of professional hockey. Has to be up there, of course. Makes you think of Jonas Corposalo for the Columbus Blue Jackets this past week with the 85 saves. but And that was playoff hockey. <laughs> it's just incredible what some of these goaltenders can do. Yeah, I mean, you got to give him credit. He he definitely had everything come in. They also signed uh, Connor McNary and Michael Thomas as well. But what what's your feeling about these guys, the purple, white, and black rocking rhythm section from Fraser, Michigan? Well, they definitely have a good foundation to start with. Their head coach, Khalil Thomas, is a former pro player and actually the father of 2018 L.A. Kings second-round pick, Akil Thomas, who hopefully will make his NHL debut here pretty soon. But um, – Definitely some NHL experience to pull from, and I'm sure he has plenty of connections to bring in some talent to Motor City. And uh, looking at their logo, so you got like a rocker headband. I like the purple is more like the outline of the hair. The The real question, though, is he's playing that guitar. What song is he playing right there, you think? I don't know. We'll have to ask uh, the folks over in Frasier, see what they <laughs> think about it. But I like how the uh, the guitar is kind of like, it's like a little hockey stick on yeah. it. It's definitely a unique logo. That is, it, it's a pretty cool logo and a, a unique color scheme. Um, and I, I really want to see the alternate jerseys uh, where it's the uh, black front, but with the purple and white spicing it up. I think that'll be a pretty cool look. Um, their purple and white jerseys will be their main home and away. Um, but It'll be interesting to see, and, you know, there's some fam familiarity. They're taking the spot of the Rumblebees. The Rumblebees' ownership, uh, you know, is still partially involved as well. Um, but they're not the Battle Creek Rumblebees, although Alvis uh, was on the team and, and Eisenhower. But how much different do you think this team will be than Battle Creek, or, or is it too early to tell you think at this point? Of course, they had the same man in charge of it, Adam Steo, who really got screwed over last year, to be honest, didn't really have a fair shot at things with such a late start. He has a similarly late start this year, but I think he has a little bit more experience under his belt and knows what he's doing. And I'm sure he's taken plenty of time to kind of formulate a plan for this new uh, Frazier team, Motor City Rockers. Yeah, Battle Creek was set up to have about as much success as a young cub putting his hand in the uh, the beehive. I mean, they, they joined late. They didn't start picking up players till September. It was a tough go overall. They were the only expansion team not to receive uh, any expansion draft picks with the other three expansion teams doing so. So Motor City getting a little bit of a head start on that. Um, they'll still play that stiff competition out west, led by the Carolina Thunderbirds, who at this point are the reigning Commissioner's Cup champions as there was no rightful champion uh, last year. So we'll see how that goes. But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, men are no longer the expansion, no new kid on the block, or Elmira as well. We'll be in our third season, so a little leg up on the teams joining in. We'll see if Menor can find uh, their, their footing amongst the FPHL in the East, which we know is, is a tough division. Uh, Danbury expansion team, nonetheless, they came in last year and, and really had a great showing for a first year. Yeah, it's kind of funny, really, how the FPHL divisions work because Menor is in the East, but then... All these Michigan teams are out west, which makes sense when you think about the geography of the league, but that's why we play so many western opponents um, compared to eastern opponents. I think last season we had about three-quarters of our games against the west division and only played our interdivision opponents a few times on the season, so... Geographically, it makes sense. We're making all these trips to Port Huron and now Frazier, of course. Funny you mention that because for our next show, which we talked about is going to be a bi-weekly podcast... At that point, the schedule should be finalized, and Jared and myself 
uh, all things permitted, are planning on doing a deep dive and look at the schedule release, not only for your guys in Double Blue, the men are icebreakers, but we'll take a look at Fraser. We'll take a look at all the teams and how those schedules uh, come to be because, you know, undoubtedly there will be some long home stretches, some long road stretches. Where are you starting? Are you at home? Are you away? All that fun stuff, uh, and especially with the season timetable, we'll get all that out there to you. But that should be a pretty cool show in a couple of weeks. Well, sitting with me now is the Director of Hockey Operations and General Manager of the Men Are Icebreakers, Nick Russo. And before we start talking with Nick, I just want to give you a little background. He was the head coach and assistant athletic director at Villanova and Newman University, 14 years head varsity coach at Ruston High School in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And while with the Golden Knights, they won seven state championships and the USA Hockey Championship in 2017. Now we're going to have a little bit of a sit-down interview, informal style, have some fun here with Nick Russo. But in coming episodes on this bi-weekly podcast, we're going to be doing a fan mailbox with uh, with Nick Russo. So you'll be able on social media or to the Icebreakers email form to submit questions that you would like to ask uh, Nick Russo, and he'll be happy to answer them on uh, upcoming episodes. But Nick, thanks for taking some time to sit down with us. No problem. Looking forward to it. So, obviously, things have been crazy for just about everybody at this point. Is that an understatement? Uh, yeah, I didn't think my first year as a director of hockey operations in pro hockey would be like this. So, yeah. it's, um, I tell everybody back home, it's kind of like a combination of slap shot, money ball, and bull Durham. All rolled up into <laughs> one neat package or not yeah. very neat. So, with that... How did a wild up and down first season with the team kind of help you prepare for this upcoming season? Uh, well, I don't know how many people have been through a pandemic in their first year. Um, before that, obviously, you know, we kind of turned around the whole team. Um, I don't know that there's too much right now that could shock me, to be honest yeah. with you. You've seen a little bit of everything. There's been a lot of transactions at the end of the year. But if, if you step back for a moment and think of that, you know, obviously things weren't going the way that you wanted the output to be. Um, but a lot of new faces come in at the end, and they've begun to gel pretty quickly for the little bit they had together. Um, so that last couple of weeks, we were talking earlier about that Port Huron series at home um, and how there was a, a game where they ended with two goals scored in the third period after trailing 7-2. to two. Then the next night they kept it 3-3 before falling 7-3. And this ultimately culminated with the final win against Delaware. But seeing that last couple weeks, how much does that help you kind of carry over to this year because things ended on a, on a much better note? Um, yeah, it, it was a big help. I mean, you know, Sebastian, well, I inherited what was already here. And, um, you know, it, it, and, and uh, you know, Ian had done the best he could. I mean, there wasn't um, a whole lot of support to begin with. Um, but we really just kind of cleaned house and changed the culture. And that's really hard to do in the middle of a season. Um, I think what you saw at the end of the season was a new culture. And that culture carried into that last game. And even that last game, having to move from one week to the other, I mean, you know, just when we were, you know, getting things started, <clears throat> um, it just showed the fortitude of the type of kid we brought in. And uh, even like Kodiak, white duck driving all day, 
from northern Quebec to get here just and to then get, he scores a goal the game winner <laughs> yeah. you know so um yeah. you know really really um I think you guys I think the fans are going to really enjoy really enjoy what we put on what we're going to put on the ice this year so what do you think will be the biggest improvements this year on ice for the icebreakers well, obviously, we've really solidified the goaltending situation. Um, that was key, bringing Jake Mullen in. Um, obviously, he's coming in as a starter, but there's going to be competition. Um, you know, when we lost uh, Rodebush, you know, it's a, you know, he's a great goalie. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, so um, Jake sort of solidified things. So, you know, the first thing you got to do is solidify the goal area. Um, we brought in some. You know, and, and returning some really good defensemen. Um, Brett Mackle will be a big help. I mean, he was an ACHA Division One All-American, um, and we've added a couple other guys on the blue line. And then we've added a lot of firepower. So, I mean, we've really addressed all facets that we needed to address. And it's ironic because in the Federal League, you go, you know, where do you get guys from? And my college background and Sebastian's college background we were really able to bring in a lot of quality college players. So um, we tapped the market on that kind of, so to speak. Well, and both of you guys have a lot of connections between here and New York as far as players to pull. So a lot of those guys to finish out the season last year were from Pennsylvania or were from New York. So that, you know, maybe those players would have flown under the radar for another market team. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you look at the league and geographically, you know, that's where guys are getting players from. Um, we really went after the GMHL a lot, you know, the Junior League in Canada, um, which is my stomping ground. Um, you know, we did go after the Philadelphia market, um, which, again, is my stomping ground. And, and Sebastian's been great with the Ohio and Pennsylvania area, Western PA. So, you know, that's what we decided to go after, and that's where we're getting our kids from. A lot of good athletes there. Uh, to backtrack a moment about the goalies that we were talking about previously, you know, Jake Mullen being the starter, but goalies are kind of like pitching in baseball. You can never have too much, and just when you think you have it covered, you don't. An injury, a call-up. So, I mean, really with any position, but goalies, there has to be a bit of a depth chart there because at any given time, I and mean, we saw last year, Frankie McClendon had to go in mid-shootout on that one game. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they say um, – you know, goaltending's, you know, 75% of the game unless you don't have it, and then it's 100% of the game. Um, so, yeah, you have to have some depth, and I think we've addressed that. Um, we've got, we're going to have some great competition in camp, and, um, you know, like I said, I, I'm very confident in Jake's ability, and um, but one call-up or one injury, knock on wood, you know, things change considerably. So it's a, move, it's a moving carousel. Right. So for the Fanatics uh, listening at home, obviously uh, at the time, 48 points to Delaware's 39. Big upcoming series would have been the following weekend that, you know, got cut short. Elmira Watertown played a game with no fans the day before, and that was the end of the 2019-2020 season. Would have been in the playoffs had the season ended then. But what does this team need to do to not only make the playoffs for the first time, but potentially make a run at the Commissioner's Cup? Well, our intention when we built this team was two things. We want to create an environment where kids can move up because we are a developmental league. Um, we would be wrong to, to not want to do that. 
Um, but the number one thing is to win. That's why I was brought in. Um, you know, I built programs at Newman and, and Ruston and what have you. And um, our goal, I'm not playing to just make the playoffs this year. Uh, we're playing to win the cup. And if you don't play to win the cup, why are you playing? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that that's, you know, we, we need to be more consistent. Um, I think we've addressed the issues. Like I said, we, we, we've had some off-ice issues and some on-ice issues, as everybody knows. Um, but we need to create that winning culture, and I think we've done that, or we're doing that. Um, great leadership. Um, I think we've accomplished that. But most of all is consistency game in, game out. Yeah, I definitely 100% agree that no matter if it's uh, from the junior high to the high school, professional, minor league, uh, it starts with culture and getting that in place, and then everything sort of puzzle pieces fits around it. Um, do you see some of that momentum from the end of last year carrying over with the guys kind of, you know, really playing for each other and a lot of those guys potentially coming back? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was the one thing in the locker room. But when we actually, sh when they shut down the season, the look on their face was of devastation, not just because of the season, but because they really felt like they had turned the corner. And, and they're just chomping at the bit right now, like all summer long, the chatter. When you're in an organization and – you know, I'm more removed than the head coach. Obviously, he deals with the players day to day. But when they're chomping at the bit and I'm getting emails, you know, great move or, you know, I mean, these guys know what's going on and they can't wait to get back. And that's a good feeling. You know, they want to be here and, that, and that's a big part of it. So, and you might not have all the uh, answers with this and I don't think anybody does because this is a unprecedented times for anybody dealing with athletics. I know I see it at, at the high school level and, and if you're involved in athletics in any facet, uh, you know what's going on. But for fanatics at home, from what you can tell as of August 17th at 11.07 a.m., <laughs> what can they expect for this upcoming season? Uh, any kind of rough timetable? Will they be allowed to come? Anything like that that you can tell them, or is that still all in the works? Well, there's been multiple, multiple plans. I mean, we, we've been working on the schedule now since the shutdown of the season. I mean, and, and people don't understand. I mean, working on the schedule starts with, in a normal time frame, like let's say that we were in normal times, you know, when can you get, what dates do you have available in your building? Mm -hmm. Okay, we're lucky here in Menor. I mean, but if you play in like the Civic Arena in Columbus or whatever, you know, Elmira, you, you have to work around the circus, you have to work around wrestling. So we don't have that situation, but the, it starts automatically with what dates can you play? Then it goes to um, what division are you in? Because we added Frazier. Right. You know, um, Motor, uh, Motor City. Motor City, yeah. Motor City. The Rockers. They're they got rockers. the guitars on the shoulder pads and charge along their I love spread. it. Yeah. I, I do. We I were love talking. It. That's a cool twist. It is. It's a great twist. Um, you know, but so there were moving parts and adding teams. Who's still in? Who's still out? So that would be in a regular time frame. Mm -hmm. All right. And then you add COVID, which, wow. <laughs> okay. So... We started out with a regular October start. Well, that kind of became pretty clear that that wasn't going to happen. Um, and then we moved it to um, tentatively right now. Well, it was going to be the first week in December. Unfortunately, now Delaware and Columbus can't play in their buildings until January. Mm. 
So now do they play on the road? Do we continue with that format? And with the Big Ten doing what they did, and, you know, we can't play in a bubble, all right? It, it's impossible at this level. Um, and are we going to even have fans? Yeah. That's an issue. Okay. So is that still uh, for interpretation at this point of whether there will be fans allowed? Or? Well, yeah, because that's a so that's a state issue. Yeah, it's not only a state issue; it's a city matter issue, and that's and a county issue. So a lot of trickle down effect. State, county, city, right? Um, you know, I think matter football is going to be a big. I mean, we're lucky because there's such a big football program that. We'll have some sort of basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't base it on Ohio State because... And they're practicing right now. They're practicing right, so. right now. So tomorrow will be a big day because, as you know, yeah. we're yeah. going to hear what's going Bated on. Bated breath when Governor DeWine takes. <laughs> he's supposed to finally make a ruling on athletics. And, and I'm personally thinking that he's going to leave it up to districts, and districts will then leave it up to parents is my guess from what I'm hearing, um, which would be beneficial for the icebreakers in any other league as well. Right. I mean, because obviously if it says, well, shut down, well, then it's going to fail. Well, if we don't, if we can't have fans, we if we can't sell seats and we can't sell beer, I mean, I, I don't, I, you know what I mean. Yes. We can't exist. Yeah. I mean, the season would be shut down. And that's not just for us because when you talk to the rest of the league, even in Columbus, that their arena holds 6,000 people, okay? But where I have X number of employees on staff, they have three times as many. Mm -hmm. If they can't have gate, then they're done too. So it doesn't matter the size of the, it's the league itself. It's minor league in general, whether it be baseball, whether it be hockey. Um, you know, we are revenue driven by, um, you know, we're driven by gate. So that's number one. We don't know what's gonna happen there. My assumption, and to the best of my knowledge, in 35 years as an athletic administrator, is and I've never been through yeah, a pandemic. Right. Okay, still a first, right? I think the last athletic director that went through a uh, pandemic was uh, that um, Spanish fever, which was 100,000 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and I don't think they were playing a high school hockey no. or college hockey back no. then. Um, but my best guess is that we're going to have a January start date with fans. With fans. That would be my best guess. Um, yeah, because if you're saying Delaware and Columbus would have to play a full month on the road, which obviously they would then get a lot more home games down the stretch, but if they right. would be able to get all those dates down the stretch or if they'd even want to stay on the road for the first month either. Sure, and and, and, and I personally, we've kind of done that with men or football. Mm -hmm. So as you know, um, we usually are on the road the first three weeks of the season in October. Um, so it can be done. Yeah, um, it's if you want to do it. And then the second thing, though, as you said, if if Columbus, especially maybe less Delaware, has a lot of uh, arena restrictions and sharing that uh, arena with other people, are they going to be able to get that many home dates down the stretch, even if they wanted them? To? Well, and that that goes into the fifty-six game schedule. Um, the talk right now is to expand the season a month and go into May. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is you have a team like um, like uh, Watertown. Who can't use their arena in May? Mm. So it, it, it's, it's to make everything work. It's a very intricate puzzle. It's going to be really fun, <laughs> right? But but Nick Russo's guess here now at eleven twelve a.m. on August seventeenth is that the January start date with fans in attendance, from what you're hearing as right now. But of course, nobody can hold you to that because somebody you know in government can stand up and say that's all for well, naught. What if we have another outbreak? Right. I mean, you and I both know. 
people just a minute we were let loose. <laughs> I hate to use that word, but you know, you go to a restaurant and they're, they're, a lot of them aren't social distancing. You know, I went to the supermarket the other day and this lady, I was getting frozen food out of the bottom of the frozen food thing and she's reaching over top of me and no mask, no nothing. And you know, it's just, listen, when I'm of the generation when they made seatbelts mm-hmm. mandatory, okay? We didn't want to wear seatbelts, all right? Hindsight, does it really matter now? Okay, if it's if it's what we need to do to do to move forward, let's just do it. You know, it's not an infringement on my civil rights. It's not a you know, but we need to get this country well, and we need to get back on the horse. I mean, you and know, on the ice. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm dying. So so to wrap it up for the fanatics, though. Let's say we're playing. Let's say fans are here. Let's say it's January. What do you want as the uh, GM and director of hockey operations to say to the Fanatics on this upcoming season and year two for you, year three for the the team as a whole? Well, I just want everybody to understand that I think this is a great thing we're doing with this podcast. Um, I think that um, I want everybody to understand that uh, and those of you that know me, I, I'm full disclosure. I mean, I'm sure there'll be questions like, why did we move those games last year? Or, you know, what happened with, you know, Coach Duncan? Or, you know, I, I'm going to answer the questions as truthfully as I can. I think the most important thing is that the, fan, the fanatics get invested, which they already are, but I want them to ha- feel like they have a say. Um, this is the, your organization. I'm here to run it. Um, I like to call it a benevolent dictatorship. I mean, I have to make the decisions. But, That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, but I, I really want you to feel comfortable. I mean, those of you that have come to games and seen me and have approached me, I'm very approachable. Um, I, will, I will not dodge any questions. And you want to keep a transparency between Absolutely. what's going on behind and, the and I don't think that had been done in the past. Um, not at anybody's fault. It's just people's nature. Um but we have great ownership in the Moon and the Briniarski family. We're here local now. Everything's local. Um, I got to put a plug in for our merchandise yeah. over here. Um, we're, we're starting to do some really cool things with new merchandise. So check out our website. I mean, I just sold another set of cornhole boards. So the those ice, look cool. The ice I saw bre- them in the office. The icebreakers made money today. Uh, camp is full. Um, we're putting together a. Um, I want to give the fans what they want. So a lot of people were asking about, I mean, you know, you can drink soda. You can, you guys call it pop. Yeah. All right. We call call it it soda soda in Philadelphia. So you can, you guys can drink pop, you can drink beer, whatever. But we just ordered a a gazillion pint etched pint glasses and shot glasses and coasters and koozies. And And that'll be all added on the team store once they're, uh, they're in now. So, well, they should be up this week Okay. and, you know, put together a package, a party package. Yeah. You know, I want to do tailgating. I want to, you know, I'm open to any suggestion. So you said about soda. Do they do they call it? Is it is it hoagies up there? For yeah, sandwiches? it's hoagies. Okay. So and when they, you heard sub sandwiches. Well, I grew up in Buffalo, so okay. subs normal. So you've had both. That's yeah, yeah. Normal. Subs warm though. Like here, you, they're usually hot. Yes. In Philly, they're not. They're it's not it's cold, and it's, it's if it's hot, it's called a grinder. Okay. But the hoagie is a sandwich they used to make for the migrant workers on Hog Island. 
and that's where it, hoagie came from. Okay. Exactly. See a little history lesson here. When were, <laughs> so, what's the best cheesesteak place? I've had, I've sampled a couple of them there when we, my wife and I, took a trip. What's your opinion? Oh, uh, it's it's actually everybody thinks Geno's and Pat's, and and you know I got to be honest with you, it's Denick's. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they make and and the real Philly sandwich, which people don't know, is the roast pork and provolone with the broccoli rob. Interesting. That sounds good. That though. is. I like broccoli oh, oh man, it's fantastic. All right, so I'll have to try that. It's, I don't know if there's anywhere around here to there get it, is but a... make it yourself, I guess. But uh, Nick, what we're going to do in future uh, segments, we'll get those questions. I know you're anxious to hear from the Phoenix, and they're going to be able. There's going to be a form on a website for them to fill out. They also can um, under the podcast or on any of our social media channels uh, be able to leave their questions directly there or email the team website. So. Uh, Hopefully for the next uh, time we get some great questions for you, and I know you'll be more than happy to answer them for all the fanatics out there. Absolutely. No stone unturned. Well, thanks, Nick Russo, for joining us. I know you're a busy guy, and we'll get that schedule out there. We'll hopefully get the fans out there, and hopefully we'll be on the ice come January. Well, let's cross our fingers or I'm out of a job. <laughs> thanks, Nick, for joining us. Before we head out, we have one more interview for you on our Coach's Corner segment with Icebreakers head coach Sebastian Ragno. This is going to be a recurring segment where we catch up with Coach Ragno and get to know him as well as his thoughts on what's going on with the Icebreakers. All right, I'm here with Icebreakers head coach Sebastian Ragno. And Sebastian, how's your offseason going so far? It's been good. I got to take a little vacation, um, you know, just working a couple kids' camps around the area uh, as well as in Pennsylvania and starting to settle back in here as the season hopefully gets going soon. And speaking of uh, working with kids, I know you have a really strong background working with a lot of different youth hockey players. And, of course, this week with the Junior Icebreakers camp, how'd that go this morning, the first session? It's been good. Um, got a couple guys from the team to come in from out of town to help out. And, you know, it's a lot of fun being on the ice with the kids and seeing a bunch of familiar faces, um, you know, talking to them about what it's like to, to be in the pro life. And, you know, looking forward to seeing them at the rink this year. So it's been a pretty busy off season overall for you and, of course, general manager Nick Russo. A lot of big signings so far, um, a lot of uncertainty, but at the same time, it's pretty exciting if you're an Icebreakers fan. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what's, your, what's your strategy been in kind of going out and getting those players between you and Nick? Yeah, um, the guys coming in, I, I basically tell them they're going to come in, they're going to make a difference immediately. I mean, we were a little strung apart at the end of the season, uh, kind of threw together a team with a couple guys that can't come back this year. And um, I think we had a lot of momentum. So guys were seeing the changes that are happening around the organization and have heard a lot of good things about Menor, you know, so everybody I've talked to has been pretty excited to come here. And, um, you know, I was trying to look for some scoring, obviously, um, trying to build up on our defensive side as well. And um, I think I found a couple key pieces that are going to help in those aspects. One thing that Nick was stressing earlier when we interviewed him was uh, the culture change. I think there's a certain type of personality or uh, just character that you're looking for in these guys you're assigning just to kind of fit into the culture. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of guys that are coming in have been in leadership roles within their teams, uh, whether that be junior or college or um, you know so be it. But I'm looking for guys that want to come in. They want to play. They want to win. Um, you know, they're going to be out in the community. I want guys that are just going to be good role models overall. Um, you know, pretty much anybody at, at this level can play hockey to an extent, obviously. And I'm looking for guys that are going to be good people in 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 the rink. Um, you know, that want to be here to play hockey, not just not just to be here to say they play hockey. And you mentioned Josh Newberg earlier. Is that one of those guys you think fits into that role? I know he's an older veteran. 
which we don't have a lot of in men, or we have never really had a lot of. I think uh, he's going to be a player assistant coach this year. Is that correct? Yeah, he will be a player assistant coach, and that's exactly why. Um, you know, when I, I talked to him last year, he was he was kind of in a leadership role, um, just being a veteran guy. And, you know, I've gotten to know him a little bit more over the off season, and he knows his role. I mean, he's getting older. He wants to, he wants to win, and that's what I have him here for. So... Um, I think he's going to be a good example for the younger guys coming in of what it takes in a, on a daily basis to be a pro and, you know, how to really live this lifestyle and, you know, make sure you're getting to the gym, make sure you're doing all these things with, uh, with a condensed season, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's a lot of games in a little time and, um, you know, it's going to take guys like Josh to make sure that we're on track the whole season. And lastly, of course, as a former goaltender and goaltending coach last two seasons with the icebreakers, um, it's going to be pretty exciting this year with uh, all the goalies we have coming into training camp. Obviously, Jake Mullins pretty much solidified as the starter, or should be, um, barring any unforeseen circumstances. But what are you looking forward to with that goaltending competition at training camp this year? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I've been talking to a couple of the guys um, you know, pretty frequently, especially Jake, and uh, I've been seeing Nuz a little bit here and there too and talking to him. and. Um, they're excited. I mean, as a goaltender, all you can ask for is a chance to come in and battle, and that's exactly what they're going to get. Um, so whether it's them or Timmins or any of the other guys, I think we have a, uh, a really solid group of goaltenders coming in, and we're going to take it from what we have down to four. Um, each of them will get a, probably a game, and then got to cut down to three after that. So it, it's going to be a tough competition, and I know a lot of the guys are excited and ready to come and show what they have. All right, that's all we have for today. Coach, thanks so much for coming on. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Yep, thanks for having me. Well, it's been fun here on the first episode of In the Depths with the Men Are Icebreakers, and we appreciate you listening. And remember the fan mailbox for the next episode. Uh, put your questions in to General Manager and Director of Hockey Operations, Nick Russo. But it, it has been fun on here, and for the next one, we also would, barring a curveball thrown our way, uh, or a slap shot, I guess, in this case. We're planning on doing a deep dive of the schedule release, which should be coming between now and August 31st, two weeks from today. Some things that you'll have coming your way, though, uh, we'll take a look at front office features, uh, take a look at people on the staff, interviews with players, head coach Sebastian Ragno, uh, GM Nick Russo, and, of course, Jared and I keeping you up to date on all the things around the FPHL and all things double blue. And uh, But it's been fun today, Jared. Yeah, and just to clarify on that fan mailbox, uh, we'll have a website form set up for questions. You can also submit them on social media, uh, at Men or Icebreakers on Facebook and Instagram, or at FPHL Icebreakers on Twitter. So definitely keep an eye on all our social media, and we'll keep you up to date and get those questions in for next episode. And we got some fun things in the works also for the Men or Icebreakers that we'll keep you posted on in upcoming episodes. And until next time, we'll see you later.